Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast today. We have Sandra Lucas. We went to um, high school together. Did we go to elementary, junior high together as well? I don't think so. No, it was just high school. High school. Okay. Just high school, I think. And then college. Huh? Yeah, Yeah, I went to Jefferson, but we grew up in Naperville together. And so we've known each other forever. And now she is a Chicago based writer, speaker, entrepreneur, and youth leader. And together with her husband, Todd, they lead a citywide outreach to college students in Chicago. And her work centers around building empathy, faith, and culture. And so when I started this series about how do we help a hurting nation heal? Because there's hurting people and people, there's an outcry and there's a lot going on since 2020. Uh, You're one of the first persons I thought of, of how can we, what's the message we want to share? And and also what are we doing? How are we ourselves coping and managing 2020 as women, as mothers, as wives, as leaders in the cities that we work and and serve? Um, And so thank you, Chandra, for joining. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrea. It's so good to see you and be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So what are you up to now? What what does your life look like today? How are you doing and how do you do it? Uh, Well, you know, I'm up to a lot. I have two boys. One is four, one is one, 18 months. Uh, So that is probably the bulk of my time, right? Just being home with these boys, especially since the pandemic hit my four-year-old at home and we're trying to manage how do we, you know, keep him in a learning posture, but still also get other things done because my husband and I, we lead, like you were saying, a citywide ministry here in Chicago for college students. And so we had to pivot and figure out how to finish the school year for our students. You know, we weren't just going to kind of throw, uh, throw the year away once COVID came to town. Yeah. We're still doing that. We're gearing up for the fall, uh, making plans to train our students. We, we train up students to lead on their campus, which this year it'll be a lot of virtual stuff. But yeah. so we're gearing up for a lot of training and a lot of, you know, figuring out how we can meet new students and continue to connect with students who, who really need that faith element in their college experience. So that's really those two things, you know, my kids, family, the ministry, you know, and then aside from that, I'm also doing my own like writing and speaking things when I can fit that in too. Yeah. And when you do your writing and your speaking, how do you come up with your topics and your themes? What do you, how do you decide what you want to write about? What's important to you at the time? Yeah, I think it's a combination of what's happening in the world, like what's happening in the world at large, what's happening in my world as a mom and a minister and all the things that I'm doing, taking that and taking that to prayer and trying to figure out like, what is, what is, how can I filter all of the stuff that's happening 
through prayer, through my faith. And then at that point, I might have something to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of just the way that it goes for me. It actually makes it easy because I don't just put it all on me and my thoughts and my opinions, right? Like I have to kind of take these things to God and take these things um, and hold them up to the scriptures too and say, hey, like, how's my faith intersect with what's happening in the culture right now? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever it might be. I've done a lot of writing in the past two months about racial injustice because that's what was was happening and everybody was thinking about that. And so I was too. So I'm like, yeah. this is, and so filtering that through, um, like I'm saying, like my faith, that's what kind of guides me. Mm-hmm. And so about the social injustice, I'm sure you have your own thoughts on everything that's happened. Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. Talk to me about what your experience with that has been so far and how you've been dealing with it. Yeah. Wow. That's a big, big question. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ahmaud Arbery was when it, this conversation started to hit us in 2020. You know, mm-hmm. like obviously this has been a problem for you many years. But you know, when Amar Arbery was murdered, that's really what kicked off for me this season of lament and trying to figure out what I, how I can be a part of whatever's happening right now. And then I, I like you were saying, of course, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd was when the nation, I think, got shook up. The whole nation got shook up with that. I wrote an essay right after George Floyd was murdered, that was titled, George Floyd is the American story we all need to learn. Mm -hmm. And in that essay, I really talked about how for so long, we have euphemized the details and revised the history so that we can all get along essentially, right? Right. But it's it's So we can feel good. Exactly, yep. But you know, that's a, a kind of false unity and, it, and it's not built to last it's going to implode eventually so it's, it's not going to keep standing when something like george when you see a man with a knee on this guy's neck and with his hand in his pocket the false unity implodes at that point one of the ways that i was kind of thinking about this was just kind of trying to understand the story the full story of what has happened in america to lead us to the point where this police officer has his knee on this man's neck and so Yeah, I just think for me, I've been learning a lot, thinking a lot about my personal history and how how my experiences have played into my understanding of race and and oppression and all these things. But then also like really diving into books and classes and trying to fit like trying to make sure like I know exactly what is happening, what has happened and what is happening. I think in metaphor (laughs) a lot, and there's just so many here, right? Like the knee on his neck metaphor, like all these things. One of the ones that I think kind of... What do you think about the knee on the neck metaphor? Well, just, just this idea that Black people in America have had a knee on their neck for 400 years, Mm -hmm. right? Saying, I can't breathe. Somebody help me. Mm -hmm. Somebody pay attention. Stop stop gawking at me like this isn't happening Mm -hmm. and help me off the ground. You you see me here. Why aren't you doing anything? Exactly. Yeah. So there's there's that whole 
thing, right? Like it, it was just so symbolic and made George Floyd rest in peace because I'm not trying to, you know, he's not a metaphor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he is a man. And so that's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying like the optics of what took place was wow. Really, um, yeah, prophetic almost, you know, what mm-hmm. was happening yeah. or what happened to him. Um, but one that I've been really kind of like thinking about is just this, this idea that George Floyd, what happened, his murder is just a modern rendition of a song that black folks in America have been forced to dance to for centuries. You know, many of our non-black friends, neighbors, leaders have been wearing headphones. Have you ever heard of those like headphone parties? There's like these headphone parties where people will show up and people put on headphones and they listen to their own music on their own headphones and everybody's dancing, but nobody's hearing the same song. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so you can go anywhere and listen to your music and you're dancing with other people. Right. So I have like this image of that happening. Like here we are, we, we're all hearing this sound pumped through the speakers, but then there's all kinds of people around us wearing headphones, listening to an entirely different beat. um, music, Right. And because of that, yeah. And because of that, they're stepping all over us pushing us against the wall. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're not aware that there's a whole other rhythm taking place because they can't hear the music that we've been hearing, you know? So Dang. George, George <laughs> Floyd's murder was like, it, it blasted through the headphones. It was like this sonic sound that just blew everybody's headphones off right off their heads. And now we're all hearing and listening to the song that's been playing in the room the whole time. Mm -hmm. And now that we're all hearing it, you know, we hear this same song now. Now we need to to learn how to dance together to that song for real. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that is to say, like, we need to learn how to live together. And how does this work? For humanity, right. you know, for society in America, not just like kumbaya, my Lord, kind of just trying to gloss it over, but really that hard work of listening to each other, being a part of healing when someone is wounded or hurting, and that leading to reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And really, have, that's, that's hard. <laughs> You know, when there's so much hurt and so much pain, that's hard. And there's so go ahead. And there's so much divide right now, too. I think even more so than I've known in my life, than I've seen before, right? Mm -hmm. People who are on one side or it's that's that's how it looks now. It's like, what side are you on? Are you Black Lives Matter? Are you All Lives Matter? Are you um, offended with police and the government? Like, like it just seems like it's become very political. And I think with politics, you can kind of like, well, I'm not political. I'm going to stay out of it. I'm going to be indifferent. It doesn't affect me. And then the people are like, this does affect us. This has been affecting us. It just hasn't been cared for. And then now it's like, well, you don't care for me. I don't care for you. Uh, and even I've seen it with, 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 with people in all of my different social circles. And so the question becomes, how do we come together still? How do we still come together over something that's so real, so emotional, so raw and painful? I don't have an answer for it. You know, girl, do you? Like I'm going back to, to, to sitting down and like you were even saying, like sitting down and listening, talking, sharing, 
and not judging each other, but accepting the truth for what it is. You know what I mean? Because it's the truth that's going to set us free because what racism and oppression is sometimes literally, but certainly figuratively a sort of bondage. We need to get free from that bondage of racism and we can't do it if we're not speaking the truth to each other. I just think there's a lot of people, a lot of people wear blinders or earmuffs. Sometimes I call them earmuffs. You know, they got to take off your earmuffs so you can hear what somebody is saying to you. The issue with Black Lives Matter is when people say all lives matter, you know, or if people are against the organization so much, you know, they're like anti Black Lives Matter because they don't agree with the organization, which I, for one, have read a lot about the organization and I don't agree with every single thing that they're about. But Black Lives Matter. Let's talk talk beyond the organization and the people who run it. And let's talk about the people who are Black in America and that their lives actually matter. Exactly. So when someone says all lives matter, it's like, okay, yes, we agree. Actually, let's talk about that because that conversation will inevitably lead back to Black Lives Matter. You Mm -hmm. can't have a full conversation about all lives matter without bringing it back to at some point saying, Saying, yes, Black Lives Matter too. Or, or, okay, you don't want to deal with Black Lives Matter? Let's just talk about racism. Do you think that racism exists in our society? And we can start from there. If Black Black Lives Matter, that phrase triggers you for some reason, we can still talk. Like, I'm not beholden to a one-lane conversation with you. Like, let's go, okay, let's move beyond that and let's talk about racism. Let's talk about my personal experiences or yours, you know, so. Yeah. um, Yeah, just I think we need to open our eyes and ears, see what it is and believe it. (laughs) Yeah. And you said, let's talk about, you know, personal experience of racism. Have you, you know, grew up in Naperville and Naperville is one of the, growing up, it was like one of the best cities to raise your kids in, one of the most, you know, great school districts looked really, it was propped up as a model for like where you want to be, you know, (laughs) what was your experience like? It was privileged to start out with. I'll just say like, I, I had very little suffering, right? Being a, a child growing up in, in a neighbor, in, a, in a, a community like Naperville in terms of like, all my needs were met all the time. I never had worries about a lot of things that other folks might worry about. Other children might be worrying about in less resourced places. So, mm-hmm. so it was privileged, but it was confusing sometimes for me because I... You know, I, everywhere outside of my home was a majority white space, like an extreme majority, you know. And yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what that led to for me was almost this duality of living where I, as a child, learning how to be accepted in a white space, being only really fully comfortable in my skin at home. Um, everywhere I go outside that door is a place where I need to figure out how am I going to survive in terms of my, how can I behave? How can I speak and talk and act and dress and just be in a way that people will accept me, respect me, see me for Mm -hmm. like the gifts that it's interesting. See me for who I am inside. Mm -hmm. Right. 
But in order to, that felt like I had to change who I was outside mm-hmm. so that I could do that, you know? So anyway, there was just a lot of, so I've only really come to like a true reckoning. I mean, I'm still reckoning, I think, with yeah. a lot of that, what that meant for me as a little black girl growing up in a white community um, and how that has affected me and never fully feeling like my voice or just my existence was like affirmed and celebrated outside my home. Yeah. And did it ever make a difference because your brother was um, older than you and he was a star athlete. And so I knew your brother before I knew you and I don't know your brother. I knew, but, but it was like his shadow. Right. Right. And kind of having that as well. Like how do people get to know the Chandra if all they know is the Browns? I mean, I think I had my struggles with that, you know, people who would just call me little brown, like a lot of folks would would just, you know, like I had to kind of fight to kind of be me, you know, mm-hmm. and let folks know, like I'm me. And I think it led me. I did sports, too, in high school. Mm-hmm. But when I graduated from high school, I intentionally was like, I'm done with sports, you know, like that's my brother's lane. And I, I, I want to just do my thing, you know, so I was more leaning towards the creative side of things, you know, writing and all that. So I had that struggle. There were times when I loved that my brother was who he was and that my family was who they were, you know, because it gave me an identity. Yeah. You know? but I think at some point you that becomes more harmful than helpful because everybody has their own identity. So you, I, both you and I, right? Like we need to discover our identity and what we're going to be doing and how we're gifted to influence the world and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it was, there was both sides of that, you know, the good side and the, the side that made things a little more challenging or made me feel a little unseen sometimes. Yeah. It's interesting when you talked about that dichotomy of living in both worlds. Have you ever seen that movie Balto? The the dog no. movie. It's like a cartoon. So. He's okay. like a half dog, half wolf. And he doesn't <laughs> feel like he belongs in either side. And then yeah. like, he tries so hard to fit into the dog community, but the wolf mm. side keeps coming up. Man, this mm. this movie was like my movie, Chandra. Yeah. But it, it's similar. And it wasn't until he's in the wild and he's trying to fulfill this mission that he realizes the wolf side of him lives always within him and actually is the empowerment of who he is supposed to be in the world. And yeah. and how like both sides don't have to compete or 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 yeah but that they can coexist and actually complement but i found that to be really really interesting growing up because i know exactly what you mean about the dual experience Mm -hmm. so what else like how what did you learn from that what do you take away from that now as you're a wife and a mom uh, of boys growing up in this world like what do you take away from that and how are you trying what what are you trying to instill in them um in order to be able to find themselves and 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 you know still handle everything that's going around yeah. I mean, I think my kids, they're so little. They're, you know, we're just affirming everything about them right now, you know, and just saying whatever it is you like, whatever it is you enjoy, let's do that. Let's do that. Just to kind of let them know we're not trying to pigeonhole them into what we're doing, what me or my husband are doing or what the world might say that they should be doing or should not be doing as as 
soon to be young black men as they get older, you know? So just trying to not pigeonhole them. I think that's something that I've learned. Or maybe there's been times when I felt pigeonholed as a black Christian woman <laughs> that I want to prevent them from having those experiences and just say, Hey, like you're more than, you're more than what you do, period. Whatever it is that you are interested in, however you want to explore your gifts and f- discover who you you are supposed to be and why you're here in the world. We want to affirm that. We want to push you towards that. And yeah, I mean, we just don't want that. You don't want to contribute to that conflict that a lot of people have of like, well, this part of me versus that part of me. And I have to choose one, right? That either or is very toxic mm-hmm. when I think there's a healthier way. The both and is the real way to go. You can do both. You can, you can be- do both, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. When um, you talked about reconciliation and mm-hmm. is that what you see as your true mission is reconciliation um, in the work that you do both with youth and both with your family and your leadership? Mm-hmm. Is that mission for you? I think that that's probably an overarching mission that I have that has some submissions <laughs> under it. <you know? laughs> Like in terms of how that how I've been called to facilitate reconciliation in different contexts. Um, so certainly, yeah, absolutely. You know, reconciling people. You know, people. We were created for a relationship. Mm-hmm. So the problem is when we, when the relationship between each. Well, first, when the relationship between us and God is broken, there's there's problems and there's internal conflict that takes place. But for person to person, when relationships are broken, that is one of the most significant ways that trauma takes place in, in our lives, broken relationships, you know? Yeah. So part of what I feel called to do, whether it's through writing or speaking or whatever it might be, like, is to help to build bridges in relationships and let folks know that having the right relationships and having those relationships in the intact in the way they're supposed to be is really the key to a healthy, flourishing life. We can't, we're not meant to be alone. And so reconciling people to one another, black people and white people, the racial reconciliation is not only possible, it's necessary for us to truly have a full human experience, right? Because if all we're thinking, all we want is justice without the reconciliation, there's no wholeness there. There's just, oh, we got what we wanted. And that's how, and we don't want relationship. You know what I mean? We don't want relationship. Just give us, yeah. give us the justice, which we, we want justice and that's good. But, but there's the relationship piece, the reconciliation piece that's so necessary and powerful for us to be able to actually move forward and progress and live together, right? Like for us to dance together. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's powerful because what you're saying is I choose you. Yeah. I choose you as a person. It doesn't matter to, to you. You're saying the justice aspect isn't, it's important. It, it has yeah. to get addressed because there, there's pain. If there's wound, if you did something wrong to your neighbor, you, it needs to be acknowledged because otherwise relationship, true relationship can't exist. It, right. Yeah. But yeah. what you're saying is I choose you as a person and I want to still be in relationship with you. And mm. right now it's hard for me. And this is why. And will mm. you listen? Will mm. you do something about it? Can I trust mm. you to actually be on my side when I need you? So important. Yeah. yeah. So 
Even if you hurt me. Even if you hurt me. Because that's the thing. Even if you hurt me, there's still something in me that wants to be right with you. Even if yeah. deep down, buried underneath the pain, there's something in me that knows that I'm supposed to be right with you. You know, because that's what we were, that's what we were, I don't know how much church you want to do today, but. We could go to as much church as you want, girl. <laughs> that's. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, reconciliation is God's vision for the world. You know, that's the gospel message message through Jesus Christ is reconciliation mm-hmm. is, you know what? Like we hurt God, but there's this, but there's in him, he's saying, you know what? I, you did hurt me, but I still know that I want to be right with you. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Christ came. And so that's what get, there's the forgiveness piece, right? So I can't reconcile with you if we don't exchange forgiveness. That's what God does for us through the cross. We have forgiveness and that's how we can be reconciled to God, you know, and restored relationship. It brings so much joy. It covers over whatever the, 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 the wounds were, whatever, you know, like forgiveness and reconciliation. So that's a big part of all of this too, is forgiveness, repentance, right? But then the repentance needs to bring the forgiveness side too. You know, I, I wrote a little bit about that in the last few weeks about repentance. Like yeah. America, America needs to repent for things that America has done. And that's why, you know, you hear a lot of talk about people tearing down statues and or wanting the statues down. Like to me, tearing down the statues, getting rid of the Confederate flag, like all these things are a part of the process of repentance that needs to take place because if you don't repent how do i know that you are seeking forgiveness yeah you know because repentance or asking for forgiveness is what i tell my boys is an action it's a you know it's an action it's not a it's not a phrase do you forgive me or i'm sorry saying i'm sorry is an action Show yes. me how you're sorry. Show your yes. brothers how you're sorry. Yes. Right? If you hit them, yes. you got to go and now serve them somehow. Like, so that they, you earn their trust back. Because yes. that was broken from what you yes. did. I think what you were saying with the statues and the, the protesting and the raising and the amplification of the voice. Like, show me how you're sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I will suggest a, a book and a podcast, another podcast for your listeners. Yeah. Too. There's a book called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, and he has a podcast called Pass the Mic, and they, they're just talking about, from a Christian perspective, actually, they're just talking about racism and the church and like what the ch- how the church has been complicit in racism and all these things that are intertwined with that. And recently on an episode, I heard them sharing about how if you really repent, if you're really sorry, you you would do whatever you can to work towards the healing and wholeness of the person yeah. who you hurt. If you're not doing that, then you're actually just saying you're sorry to as an act of damage control to yeah. save face. So someone else once said, I don't know where I saw this, but an apology without change is manipulation. Mm. You know, like you can... You can say you're sorry with no intent to change, but really what you're doing is emotionally manipulating that other person into calming down. You know what I'm saying? Right. Calm down. <laughs> I, you know, I, 
Yeah, yeah. it's like when the boys like they don't mean it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, like, come on, act it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You had said something right now about the church. And and one thing that I want to point out, because I think this is important, because I grew up in the church. I grew up Christian faith, love God, and I have a spiritual, I have my own relationship with God. But growing up, especially I would say college and then after college, I had a very confusing, I don't want to say relationship with God, but relationship with the church. Because like, why isn't more leadership in the church people of color? Why isn't, you know, people of all different um, ways that they live their life accepted, right? And so I found Christians to be some of the most hateful mm. people. Mm. Like, and, and so to the, to me, that was something that I struggled with, like growing up, like how can we preach about God loves and God saves and God is good and all we're trying and uh, what is seemingly what I saw was dividing, mm. right? Or at least pushing back or in order to come here, you must, you must mm-hmm. be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's important to, to acknowledge what you said, how the church in some ways was complicit in racism Mm -hmm. and was complicit in pushing forward. Like even the white Jesus um, example, like when did Jesus become white and why did we accept it? Mm -hmm. Right? Like all of these questions that are coming up, I think they're, I think they're valuable. I think that they, they're, they're good probing questions to, to raising awareness and education within ourselves. But then also what it can do though, is question the values of what we believed and were raised from that faith, like of that God is good still. And that really God does want justice for everybody still. And he wants reconciliation still. Do you have any thoughts on that part? You mean just like how to kind of deal with the hypocrisy? (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's 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 sad. That's all I can really that's how I feel about it. It's sad because people who are supposed to represent God and represent the love of God, represent love your neighbor as yourself, you know, represent the Bible says that you should forgive as you have been forgiven. That you should, you know what I mean, have grace for people, bear with one another. I just think there's a self-righteousness that creeps in, has crept into the church. I mean, with racism, that was just, that's evil. And it was used as a way to justify oppression um, and even white Jesus, right? Like they, that whole thing is used to to kind of justify like, oh, well, there's a white supremacy, (laughs) but in general, like in the church, like how you're saying you grew up and there was folks who would, who would be judgmental. It sounds like of others and not instead of loving them in, they were, they were judging them out. And that's a problem. and, And that happens still all the time. And I think that the church really needs to take responsibility for that and really look at the scriptures and look at who is Jesus, the, the person who you you claim to follow like who was he how did he treat people mm-hmm. how did he react when someone who was society looked down upon came to him for mm-hmm. help how did he you know and so we really if we're going to follow Jesus we need to follow Jesus not some i might say like a paper cut out version of Jesus you know right. like we we have traced him and it looks kind of like him but it's not, it's this flat version of Jesus that we want to, you know, 
fit into our pocket and carry him around. But the reality is that's not who he actually is. So I think there's hope for the church. There's hope for, (laughs) for Christians who have, you know, had that, you know, blind spot or even willful ignorance and willful judgment, you know, there's hope, but it, it, it is tough. I would tell folks who have this view of the church that all oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. I would say, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> In the sense of like, I'm not perfect. I think there's like, I need to do work, but you need to work too to, to meet me halfway here to understand that like my, my role as a, my, my life as a Christian is not to be perfect but to lean on a perfect God and to, to, mm-hmm. for grace to help me. Yeah. And, and I like what you said, like, you're right. And what are we going to do about it? Like what, yeah. and yeah. what, <laughs> and we still continue to press and we still continue to move forward in a way that mm-hmm. now with, with this information, what do we do next? Cause you work with youth, right? We work with college students now, but I, I did for a long time work with, you know, high school age students, yeah. Which is like one of the most critical, pivotal ages of all of us. When we're growing up, that kind of kind of informs how, what we're going to do next in, in college and then mm-hmm. after. What is the voice of that youth and those college students? I, I just, I don't know, right? I don't know what that, what they are like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it boils, if I could simplify, hopefully not oversimplify, but it boils down to three things that actually are really core values of our ministry here in Chicago. And that is God, community, and mission are three things that young people are searching for. Even if they don't have a faith perspective, right? Like they're searching for a higher purpose. A high, they're searching for um, that sense of being loved unconditionally, right? And that unconditional love only comes from God, you know, and everyone's on some kind of, even people who say they're unspiritual are spiritual people. Anyway, so yeah, God, community, they want to know where they fit in, where they belong. Um, if they can't, if, if they don't, if they feel like they don't belong, right, that's a conflict for them. They're, they're, they're looking for a place and mission. They're looking for a purpose. You know, they're looking to figure out like, why am I here? What is this? What's life for? for me here like how about what what am I supposed what am I supposed to do here you know and so I think that that is that's that fuels a lot of the civic engagement that young people take part in because they're like wait a minute like I'm trying to find where I belong and what my mission is and what higher purpose and higher spiritual element plays into that and and it causes cause people to act, you know? Yeah. So I would say that those three, those three things, um, young people want to make a a difference. And through that desire, they're looking for God, community and mission. And how do you advise them when they come to you? Like, oh my gosh, Chandra, like, I don't know what to do. Here's what I'm lost. And I'm looking, how do you, what, how do you lead them? Yeah. I mean, how do you earn their trust? Right. I mean, trust is built through, real relationship and vulnerability and letting them know like they come to me as a leader, but I'm all, I'm a person. So I struggle with some of the things that they probably have 
that they're bringing to me. You know, if I'm not struggling with it now, it's something that I used to struggle with. Um, whatever their their concern or their issue might be, like I can relate. If I can't relate, they won't be sure. drawn into me and trust me to to give them any kind of wisdom or advice or you know whatever. So walking with students through whatever it is that they're going through, just lit- just saying, I am here with you. You know, whatever, whatever it is that you are going through, whatever it is you need, I will do whatever it takes that I can do to, to make sure that you can get over this struggle or, or, or through this season or whatever. So I don't always, you know, I'm not a sage, you know. So I guess you are. <laughs> I guess you are. <laughs> I don't have all the wisdom, you know. So a lot of times I'm like, people come to me for counsel. And I'm like, listen, let's pray. You know, (laughs) but I can sit with you and I can listen to you and I can say, you know what, like you aren't alone in this. And so like, I'm going to walk here with you. If you don't have the faith to believe in this yet, I'm going to believe for you until you catch up, you know, like, so I think in general, like building, building trust is all about like being vulnerable, being willing to to say, I have weaknesses too. and, And we can both kind of seek that, that healing or that that wholeness that, that we need together. What can parents do that could help those young people who are going to grow up to be future leaders? I'm still learning so much about parenting. You know, I've, I've worked with a lot of students whose parents that I've worked with to help their students. But what I've seen is that students and people in general, but I'll just say like young people, they're going to do what they want to do. You know, like that's kind of the the bottom line. Like, yeah, do what they want to do. So either they're going to do it and feel like you are judging them or you are disappointed in them or whatever. Or they're going to do it and feel like, wow, my mom or my dad, like, I know maybe they don't agree with this, but they still love me. They still treat me like their child. You know, not putting expectations on your kids that are really your expectations for yourself and just saying like they're they they need to figure some things out. Now what that means is they're going to fall and hurt themselves and you may not be there to put the bandaid on, right? Yeah. But but that's okay. I think that there's a trust element involved too because you have to take that risk and trust that you do what you can in order instilling values and instilling these things into your child. But at some point you do have to let them make that those decisions and, and, and trust that what you have invested on the front end is going to reap benefits eventually. And it's like, I worked with a lot of high school students and I'm like, these are, these kids are, They're not easy. You know what I mean? (laughs) They don't listen. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, a student would come into me and be like, oh man, I got to tell you, I did this or this thing happened. I'm so upset. I'm so, and it's something that I had told them, like, don't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, I told you not to do that. But years later, I can't even tell you, Andrea, how many times I get an email, Facebook message, or someone comes up to me in person when I go, somewhere like to speak and they like recognize me or I knew them way back when and they come up to me and thank me for the things that they said even though they weren't listening at the time yeah. but later eventually you know it's like this slow process for for young people to kind of come around mm-hmm. and 
and kind of eventually see that the things that the caring adults in their lives are saying are actually true. So I think there's an endurance element too. You yeah. pray. It's hard. It's hard as a parent though. As a parent. Yeah. <laughs> listen, just listen. And yeah. I was stubborn too as a child though. Like I, yeah. my mom couldn't tell me anything. I knew it all. I mean, I had a child at 19. So yeah. obviously, <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to go through your own. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Like, the things that your mom had said to you, I bet right now you're like, wow, mom, oh. was, mom was on it. You know what I mean? Like she really knew about it. Even though at the time you, your young, unformed mind and heart just wasn't, you weren't able to receive it. Right, know? right. And the, the foundation that she laid, yeah. I think, served me so well growing up. Because you remember the teachings and you remember even just mm-hmm. the, the life she lived and how she lived her life of service, you know, mm-hmm. and like if you needed something, you give it away, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. Like whatever you need, you got to give. And then if you lack it, then you give more and mm-hmm. it comes and it's just kind I would say um, that's one of the things that I took from her for sure. Right. Yeah. It's powerful. So much even more than what she said. Right. Like it's how she lived. How she lived, yeah. You could tell me what to do and not to do. Just show me what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you want your boys to to see in you? Wow, I think I want them to see that that we love God and we love our family and we love other people who aren't in our family, like family. You know, we're we're generous and we're hospitable and. You know, like there's always people over at our house for whatever reasons, you know, I mean, not so much right now, but, you know, <laughs> we're always hosting people, inviting people in and just letting them know, like, that our lives are meant to serve and love people. Um, and I think if I can do that successfully, it'll really it'll really go a long way for them to love people like for no reason other than that they are people like I don't love someone because of something about them. Like I love things about them, mm-hmm. right? But I don't just love them because they're nice to me or because they always cook good food or because, you know? Like yeah. I, just, I just love, I want to teach my sons like the way that God loves us. You know, you have a child after you give birth and you hold that baby and you're like, immediately your feeling emotionally is, I love you. And I would die for, I would give my life for you. Mm-hmm. And I just met you. And it's not about like what you've done because you haven't done anything yet. <laughs> you know? Like, you yeah. No matter what you do, <laughs> no matter my heart do. will never be the same. Because exactly. uh, yes. you're here. And, mm-hmm. so, and, and I think we, you know, parents, we get on that, like we will die for our kids. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I, I want to do Certainly with this podcast is one of the reasons why I created it was because I want to show my kids, I will live for you too. Mm, yeah, I will live for you too. Cause I want to see, I want you to see me living my full potential on this earth because I know I can do it. Yes. That's powerful. It really is. 
Yeah. And so tell me about Todd and you guys meeting and getting together. (laughs) Share with us that process of faith of finding your husband and knowing he was the one for you to build your family with. (laughs) Because I know your story, right? But share it with the world. And by the world, I mean my 34 followers. (laughs) But you Shout out to my shout out to everyone who's listening because I really appreciate you my, from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> no, no, do not. The Bible says, "Do not despise the day of small, small beginnings, beginnings, girl." <laughs> yes. By the way, before I share my story, I just want to say I don't know if you've shared your story on the podcast because I it's coming. Let me just say I've shared your story. <laughs> I I've shared your story, Andrea. Just to people, I've been like, listen, I have a friend. And you don't know what happened. Oh. What God can do. You know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. So I, Todd and I met because I was working at the church I grew up in. And he came. He was already doing ministry in Chicago with college students. He came to our church to share about his ministry. So we met on a night when I was leading a youth service. And he was there as our like guest missionary to share about his ministry and to kind of get the, give the students an idea of the work, the works that's being done in Chicago. So that night he shared, and I, I say that we have been doing ministry together since the day we met because he shared and he kind of gave the students a little exhortation about missions and all that stuff. And then I preached a little mini sermon that night, you know, so we met, it was kind of like, Wow, like I mean, but here's the thing: they, we would always have guest speakers, right? And so I was kind of in a place. I was actually in grad school. I was doing my thing, you know. I, you know, so I wasn't really like looking for a relationship. I was really in a comfort zone. I was like in my sweet spot in mm-hmm. life in my twenties. But he came in. I was like, hmm, you know, like there's something, there's something different about this guy the work he was doing and just his heart. And I, I just, you know, when you talk to somebody and you, you know that they are seeing you yeah, and it's not just like a conversation just to kind of get them to the next point where they need to get what they need. You know what I mean? Like they're listening to you. So I felt that, which is a rare quality these mm-hmm. days. So that's really what intrigued me about him. And I, I started visiting his, ministry things and we had a mutual friend already so that made it a little easier yeah. where I didn't have to like well first I could ask her about him but secondly yeah. you know I didn't have to go alone to things because she knew him so I was like oh, oh. let's go together <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um so we met and started just getting to know each other and talking and yeah you know I don't know how much you want to get into like you know before I met him the Lord had done some things in my life where I was like, or he was like, you need to get ready for to, to take that next step. Even though I wasn't dating anybody. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Cause so that's important I, because you were ready when you met him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really felt like I, I really felt this impression that that next step in my life was coming. I felt like God had really like put put it on my heart that this was coming. I, and and so and I had never really like I was saying I was doing my thing. I wasn't really interested in I was perfectly fine. I had my apartment, I had my car, I had my job. 
Yeah. Um, but then I got that impression. I was like, hmm, and you had well, heartbreak before. I had a heartbreak before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but those relationships were, those were, those relationships were not, they were, they're just not good. You know, like they were me giving over parts of myself to try to earn somebody's love, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was, I was very, you know, leery of that. So maybe that's why I was like, Oh, I'm doing my thing right now. I don't need a man. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started to get a little anxious about that impression, you know, like, Oh, like when is it going to happen? You know what I mean? Like, I even went on like a Christian dating site for about a month thinking maybe this is, maybe I could find my husband out here, you know? And then, you know, I canceled that cause I was like, this is too much. I can't. <laughs> you know, it was like, I can't do this. Right. But nothing against online dating, but it just wasn't for me. But I met my husband on a Wednesday night, Sunday night beforehand. I'm actually getting ready to start my, student teaching because I was in school to to get my teaching certificate the next morning I was gonna head in for student teaching and I was like listen God if you don't if this man that you are saying is coming to my life isn't at this school I don't know how I'm gonna meet him because all I'm about to be doing is school you know yeah so I just really like relinquished all of that to God I was like I can't if you if you want this for my life you do it you know, <laughs> so, so that's what happened that Sunday night. And then three days later, I met my husband and it was really just this place of contentment. I think that that really did it for me was just like, you know what, like I'm OK with it or without it. And I think that's a really necessary place for anybody to be in order mm-hmm. to truly be open and authentic as they pursue a relationship, right? Is to say like, I don't need you, right? But I will take you. <laughs> you know? I'll take you though. I'll take you. I don't need you because if you're not here, I'm good. I'm good. That was just a really healthy moment for me and my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. I give that up. Like, I'm not trying to force something. I'm not trying to be, you know, that's not, it wasn't good. So I gave that up. And then next thing you know, I turned the page of the story and there he is. And here we are, you know, we've been married six years now. So six years, two kids. How do you feel about that? Are you, are you loving marriage? Are you still in that honeymoon phase? Are you... Well, I don't know if we're still in a honeymoon. Especially because you guys work together too. We do, yeah. So that, I mean, God is just, God is, he just has his way of, of, of getting us right. And I think that that's what marriage has been for me. Yeah. In so many ways, it's like getting me right because marriage is so sacrificial. It calls upon you to be the best version of you for that other person. Mm-hmm. Because what my husband needs from me, he, he doesn't need resentment from me. He needs forgiveness from me. He doesn't need, you know, anxiety from me. He needs a, a peaceful home to mm-hmm. come to. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. so I need to do the work for me so that I can be the best version of me for him and vice versa, you know? And I'm not saying I do that perfectly every day. I do not. But I see God working in my life in that way through our marriage. Yeah. It's a very perfecting process and commitment. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that moment of surrender right before you guys got married of saying like, this is, this is not up to me. Yeah. This is up to you. And I give you the opportunity to show me what you want from me. Mm-hmm. And then it came and God gave you the right one. Mm-hmm. That's what John says. Sometimes when we're going to fight, he'd be like, God gave you the right one. <laughs> <laughs> you got the right husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's important, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like those areas that will help us grow as we continue to challenge each other to grow mm-hmm. and, and, and become better versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that way we can each move and, and create mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's important and powerful. Yeah. Right. Mary, but I, the single hands down, excuse me, hands down. Hardest thing ever. Hardest thing ever. Best thing ever. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, is it yeah. how that works? It will really rub you the wrong way sometimes. <laughs> but it, but in the, at the same time, it's refining you. You know what I mean? The rub is a refining kind of rub. Yeah. The friction creates the purification, right? Yeah. It creates it creates yeah. the sharpening. Iron yeah. sharpens iron. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know the Bible is true, Andrea. Yeah, I know the Bible is true. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, so when we talk about uh, going forward, like what's what's next for you guys? What do you guys want to want to achieve with the 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 mission that you guys are doing in the city? What's on the radar? What's up, what's upcoming with ministry? You know, we're navigating trying to figure out what to do, right? Because we never we do campus ministry. So how do we do campus ministry when we can't be on campus? Hold on. You know what schools are doing? They're doing virtual campuses now, virtual like booths, even my organization, virtual booths. And I don't, I'm not a a huge fan of it, but I understand that's the only means right now. But like, yeah, how, what are you guys going to do? Yeah. I mean, we're planning right now to kind of do, most of our schools are doing like a hybrid. So there will be students on campus a lot less than there would be, but some students will be on campus here or there. Some of our students, we already know that they're all online, you know, so we know that we have to do virtual ministry. It's happening. You know, it was good because March, you know, April, May, you know, the end of the school year, we had to pivot and do it. We had to change. We do small groups. So we do small groups. They became online small groups. So we already did it, but now we have to do it in a way that is much more resourced, much more structured, much more, you know, we expect it now before we had to just scramble and figure it out. Okay, let's just do zoom. You guys do it. You know, yeah. Now we have, we have an opportunity to plan for it to be as effective as possible. So that's kind of where we're at and, you know, just trying to figure out how to put all those pieces together and, and make it happen virtually, but then also add some socially distanced socializing you know like that's so important yeah yeah so we can't we got to do some things even if it means we're six feet apart wearing masks right like we have to get some kind of personal face-to-face stuff taking place so we're just gonna work it out and and go with the flow because a lot of the schools i'm sure will be changing their requirements and yeah safety protocols throughout the year so but we feel good about it we feel good because our students have already been on board with the mm-hmm. virtual thing, with the Zoom meetings and all that. So I feel like it's going to be, it'll, it'll be good. 
Yeah. And do you guys create content at all for your students? Yeah. Like um, uh, digital? Other, like, Because I know you have the blog, but do you guys have like the, the sermons or, and you're a preacher too, right? Yeah. Have you looked into that? Well, we haven't yet, but we will be, you know, kind of creating even just if it's like um, small group Bible study, like short 10 minute teachings or, you know, ways that we can engage them online with videos or even just writing up some devotional materials, um, just doing what we can to resource them so that they they might be at home or whatever, less community face-to-face stuff, but we can still resource them and give them yeah. ways to connect with each other and connect with God. And I like how you use that word resource, like resource. How do you connect to that source again yeah. in the midst of everything you're going through as a, as a student? How do you resource your life? Because we yeah. look at resources, but I don't think we, we pay attention to that word enough, like huh. resource. We all need to resource. Yeah, uh, yeah. Get, get everybody back to the source. Yeah. And continually it's a resource. Like I know, you know, we used to, I think growing up, we were used to going to church every Sunday and Wednesday, right? And Sunday you went in the morning and at night and then on Wednesday for Bible studies, because those were the times when you resource, but now where do the students resource? When do they continue continually resource? Yeah, no, that's really good. I need to write that question down. <laughs> what inspires you? Like what gets you and keeps you charged of obviously your faith and obviously God, but what is that thing that like, I am inspired when I see this and this was what keeps me going on a daily or a, another source for you. Yeah. I think a lot of things inspire me, right? Like I, I think anytime I see somebody operating in a gift that they have and they're doing it and they're like yeah you know just going for it you know risking whatever comments might come or whatever you know what I mean like mm-hmm. just doing what they were put on earth to do like that is one of the most inspiring things for me it inspires me to go be like listen what am I here to do let me go do my thing now you know like mm-hmm. that's why it's so awesome what you're doing even with this podcast you know it's like other people see that. I see that. And I'm like, listen, I'm about to write down some things so I can do a podcast. You should do a podcast because I think, and and like you have, you should, A, you should. And I can't wait to hear it. I have some ideas, but I haven't taken any steps, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like I'm super inspired by that. You know, in terms of like, one of the things that's really important for me is trying to find moments of rest and renewal. You know, it's not easy having these two young boys and we're busy and all these things. But whenever I can have a a moment or a little short time where I can just be alone, I can read a book, I can watch some funny videos, you know, like and just like be recharged, you know, like that's so when I when I come out of like little moments like that, I'm like, all right, you know, like let's do it. Let's go. Let's let's go after life and live it to the fullest, you know, because we, we could do so much work mm-hmm. and get so tired and burned out that we just don't have so much, we don't have anything left to give, you know? One of the things I just, I just posted was this thought that came to my mind that empty cups overflow too. Yeah. Empty cups overflow too. And know? wait, empty cups overflow emptiness. 
empty cups overflow. People always talk about my cup runneth over, right? Like you over, you want to overflow with God. You want to overflow with good things so that uh, it can spill around and like, you know, you can touch other people with all of it, but empty cups overflow too. You know, if you're empty, that's going to overflow. That's That's powerful. My kids, if I'm empty, that's going to overflow to my husband, you know? So I need to stay full of, uh, of faith. I need to say full of, you know, joy, right? Like nobody wants to be around somebody that's sad and, you know, grumpy because they're tired, you know? Right. So just those moments of renewal, right? Cause I need to keep that cup full of what's good so that whatever, whatever's good, whatever's in the cup will come out. Even if it's nothing. That is so powerful, Chandra. Empty cups overflow too. I'm going to remember yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, um, I don't know if you listen to Ayanla sometimes. I don't agree with everything she says, but there's oh, I've something. Seen some things. I've seen some things. There's some things that are really good. Mm-hmm. But she goes, well, you know, it's important to fill your cup. And she's like, what's in the cup is for me. Mm. Whatever comes out, that's for you. But as long as my, and then, and it just reminds me like, yes, this, this cup, this is my coffee and everything else is for everybody else, but inside is for me. Yep. And so how do I continually make sure that I'm getting mine as well before I start offering it? Because there's that one, um, that one proverb, I, I heard it from Maya Angelou about never trust, a, um, never trust a naked man that offers you his shirt. Mm. right like like so many times we are offering something that we don't have ourselves right wow so that's powerful powerful. yeah so one last question that I want to close with and I ask this to all the guests is is who are the helpers in your life those three people or four people whoever it is for you those people that have guided you that along the way they changed you, um, either good or bad. It doesn't have to be, you know, but who are those people? And I think this is why this question is important is because it helps identify who those helpers are in our lives and, and, and who those guides are that, that really change the course of our lives. Do you have any that you can think of that have really helped you um, throughout times? I'll start with the present. Obviously my husband, is someone who more than anyone on the planet, he sees me and without any outside noise, just wants the best for me and wants me to fulfill everything that I'm supposed to do. So, you know, so that he is like, without him, I I just wouldn't really be, I wouldn't have as much confidence, you know, like I wouldn't have, just so many things about me are, are, are there about me because of my relationship with my husband. So for sure him, you know, someone that I can like wear my feelings out there, you know, like it just, mm-hmm. you can lay it all out yeah, so that's, and he's still, that's important. And I would say, you know, I have some mentors that, you know, um, have for years been just so instrumental in my life, you know, just as a person, but as a leader, my youth pastor from back in the day, who is still even now like one of our closest friends and we, yeah. So just having someone like that in my life has been such an anchor for me to kind of always feel encouraged, you know, like someone who can encourage you in your gifts, someone who can point things out in you, that maybe you don't see and say, Hey, like you should look at, you should 
you should go this direction and see what happens. Or I'm here to support this thing. Let's try something here with it. You know, so, so that, and then I think probably everybody needs someone's shoulder to cry on when something happens or when they mess up. Like if I mess up, I know I can call, there's one person in particular, I won't name her, but you know, like having a friend and she's a little, she's a, a, a season ahead of me in life. Mm-hmm. And so just having that person who has gone through some more, who's been married longer than me, who's been doing this thing, parenting longer than me, that I can call and be like, oh, yeah, I, or I messed up. I need to know like how to walk through this or I need, you know, so I think if I had to pick three, it would be that my husband, my a mentor and just a friend who's one season ahead. Yeah. So someone who accepted you fully, mm. someone who guides you, mm-hmm. and then someone who you can lean on. Yeah, girl, you got it. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. There you go. All right. Well, Chandra, this was great. I mean, I had a I had a blast. Yeah, so good. I'm so thankful that you're able to come on and, and take us to church. <laughs> oh, we didn't go all the way. You come on again. Next one. <laughs> Just sat on the steps of the church today, you know. We might go all the way. Next one for sure. (laughs) Well, give Todd and the kids my love, and then thank you so much. I appreciate you. Um, Really quick, any website that you want to to call out where people can find more information? Yeah, you can catch a lot of what I'm writing at chandralucas.com. I'm on all the social medias at uh, <laughs> all of them, <laughs> all of them, well, not all of them, but enough of them at Chandra Preneur. That's me. You can find me. You probably just search Chandra Lucas too and find me on there. Yeah. But I'm on there always trying to put out content to challenge and, and encourage people. And then what colleges or campuses do you support in the city? Yeah, we are, um, we are serving at Northwestern, which is in Evanston, which is just above, just north of the city. Northwestern, Loyola, Chicago, Columbia College, which is the art school downtown. UIC, which is right in the west, just west of downtown. And then St. Xavier University, which is on the south side. Um, so those are, yeah, those are our five that we're mainly focused on. We have students that come and are part of our ministry from other campuses like Roosevelt or, you know, like whatever, but those are the five we are on campus really building. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you guys find those students when, when they come in, do you guys just hold groups and have flyers and that's how they learn about you? Yeah. So we, you know, schools, the schools help with this because they want their students to have the fullest experience. So they always have like organization fairs. So we get to set up and set up a table, meet and greet students, let them know what we're about. So that's one way. Other than that, it's students reaching out to their friends and kind of drawing folks into our community. And yeah. And then throughout the year, just cultivating that, mm-hmm. you know, so we really, rely a little bit on, on the, the schools in order for that to get that broad exposure Yeah, um, in terms of different ways they have organizations put themselves out there. So, okay. Well, all right. Well, now we know where to find you. And then yeah. again, thankful you're able to come on. Oh, it was my pleasure and honor. I know it took a while for us to get it set up, but we got it. We got it. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you have a good one. And then I will talk to you soon. All right, Andrea. See you soon. All right. Bye, son.
Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.